The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. Amen. These last Sundays in the season of Epiphany, uh, we're going to be considering gospel lessons that come from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And before we uh, dive into it, I think it's important to have a sense of what Jesus was doing in this section of Scripture, because we've heard these parts of Scripture over and over again. And it wasn't until I read some of N.T. Wright's work. N.T. Wright was the Bishop of Durham, now teaches at St. Andrews in Scotland. It wasn't until I read some of his words about what Jesus was doing in these passages that I got a sense of how revolutionary it was that Jesus was saying as he gave these beautiful words that we have heard so many times. The Sermon on the Mount, uh, said in its context, is uh, speaking to Israel as well as to the disciples. So it's important to hold those two things together. If we think about the situation of Israel, they really have been occupied since the Babylonian exile. And now they were under the heel of Rome. And, of course, that caused all kinds of of concern for them as Jews because they also lived for the promise of the divine king who would come and rule over them. And the divine king had not come. So the response was varied depending upon which party you might be a part of. For the zealots, the idea was to take up the sword and overthrow the Romans. The Sadducees were a bit more pragmatic, and one might say that their idea of dealing with the occupation was go along to get along. (laughs) And that isn't a bad idea sometimes. The Pharisees were split. Some of them wanted to overthrow Rome. But there were others who were very concerned about maintaining their identity as Jews and maintaining their tradition in the midst of the occupation. You might say that they were almost like those who were in the ghetto 
in Warsaw, Poland. They saw themselves as a small group that was set against this powerful force, and they had to maintain who they were. Now, Jesus comes along, and he denies the strategy of the zealots. In fact, he says that you must love your enemies. And not only that, you must be generous to your enemies and pray for them. And he also rejects the ideas of the Pharisees. And his point was not that keeping the law, keeping Torah, was wrong. In fact, he said, none of that will pass away. The law was very, very important. But what he quibbled with was the interpretation of the Pharisees of what righteousness was. Now, if you want to uh, think a bit more about righteousness other than what I say this morning, you might reread the psalm that we just sang. And there's a very clear uh, description of how the righteous lead their life. Well, the Pharisees believed that the fulfillment of God's promised reign was something to happen in the future. So, in a sense, they continued to be in exile, in a ghettoized kind of existence. And so they sought to preserve their identity, waiting for the eventual reign of God. Now, this is the important part. Jesus says the reign of God is now. It's not something in the future. It is now. And Israel was to be a light to the nations, a light to the whole world. And I think it's uh, N.T. Wright who says Jesus was telling Israel to be Israel, to be that light on a hill, to be a light to the world. So Jesus' strategy was to fulfill the law not to abolish it. For the Pharisees, the Torah was read from the perspective of a group of people trying to maintain their identity, their purity, against a world that they saw as sinful and a world that they saw as hostile to them. But Jesus saw the world from a different perspective. He saw it as the reign of God present among us. And so Jesus begins this sermon with an abundance of God's blessing. And it's declared in what we call the Beatitudes. Now, if it hadn't been the presentation of our Lord in the temple last Sunday, you would have heard this lesson read. So really the beginning of this long section of looking at the Beatitudes really began last Sunday, if it were a different year. But listen to these Beatitudes. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful. For they will receive mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, 
For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, our text today comes immediately after those Beatitudes. And it starts with Jesus using two very powerful metaphors. Uh, Many of you, I know, uh, know what it means when somebody says that that person is the salt of the earth. We often think of someone who's very grounded, somebody who is really, you know, down to earth, we might say, very reliable, somebody who is really good. That is not necessarily how that phrase would have been heard by someone who heard it when Jesus spoke it. Rather, they would have heard the idea of covenant coming from that. Salt of the earth. Salt was a sign of covenant. And if one was in covenant with God, one was in relationship with God. But if that relationship was broken, it was as bad as salt that had gone bad, that it had been mixed in with other things and couldn't be used as a preservative, couldn't be used in food, was of really no worth. So Jesus is reminding them that they are salt. They are in covenant with God. They're in relationship with God. And then he goes on with this idea of covenant by referring to light. Jesus says that they are the light of the world. Now, for many, that would have brought to mind a passage from Isaiah. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you a covenant to the people, a light to the world. That was uh, the vocation of Israel. That's what Israel was called to be, a light to the nations, a light to the world. And Jesus is reminding them that that now is the call to the disciples. They are to be that light as well. They are to be the ones who reflect the glory of God. And I think it's important to note that Jesus didn't say you should be salt or you should be light. He says you are salt. You are light. It is something that you are, that I am right now. We are gospel people. And he was saying it to his disciples as well, that they are the light of the world. Today we will have our annual meeting. (laughs) One of the most enjoyable things that rectors ever do. (laughs) We look forward to it always. (laughs) And, And you've received the report that has the things that were done over the past year, really a reflection of activity over 2013. But the truth is that that is just a fraction of what has happened in this parish, as this parish has been salt and light. There have been so many acts of kindness. There have been so many acts of generosity, of generosity to friends and to acquaintances, but above all, generosity to strangers. There has been so much seeking justice in this place. There have been so many who have sought to reach out to the helpless. And all of that gets missed in a report that comes out as an annual report. It is what you have done, not just this past year, but throughout your life as salt and light that makes a difference in the world. I believe that God is calling you and me to realize that the reign of God is now 
and that we are a part of it. And our role in it is to be salt and light, to make a difference in the world as we seek to live a righteous life along the lines of what you'll read again in that psalm. And so this day, as we celebrate our annual meeting, let us remember that this is but a fraction of what has happened. And let us live into God's call to us to follow Jesus, to walk in his path, and to be salt and light in this needy world. Amen.